You're listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. In the blue corner, we've got Mr. Carl supporting Tottenham. In the red corner, we've got Mr. Kenner's supporting Arsenal. Together, they will be discussing all of your football views, all of your football news. So join us here on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Hello and welcome to yes another episode of the football podcast. Carl and Kenner's hitting the bar. I'm Chris Carl. I'm Steve Kenton. Hello, Steve. Listen, we've got a very exciting episode because first of all, in the second half of the show, we have got an interview that we recorded earlier with ex-footballing legend, the one and only John Gidman, who of course played for Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Aston Villa, Everton, Stoke, Darlington. And England, quite a list, quite a career and quite a character. And we will be speaking to him later. But there is kind of a reason why we met with him and and had that chat, Steve. Yes, there is indeed, yeah. John, along with Steve Staunton, has been promoting Prostate Cancer UK uh, and their charity. And um, there was an event held last week, uh, last weekend at Scandal's Bar and Restaurant. It is owned by Kev Johnson. He and his staff have given up their time freely to help promote the charity. John and Steve appeared there and quite a lot of money was raised from the event. Um, And along with themselves, it also incorporated assistance from Leicester Speedway, which are a, a, a... Speedway Club. Speedway Club, yes, absolutely. And In the UK, of course, for those that don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And also the Walking Dead FC, which is an over-50s walking football team, which is run by Martin Teague, who has also helped organise the event at Scandals as well. All right. I mean, it is a very important cause, Prostate Cancer U- uh, UK, a very important charity. If people want to uh, give their time or their money, there are several places they can check out, Steve. Yes, there there are, yeah. Um, if they go to Scandals Bar and Restaurant Facebook page or even the Walking Dead FC's Facebook page, as well as Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar Facebook page, you'll be able to click onto a link which will take you to the Just Giving page. There is a code which we will put up. Also, of course, you can donate to Prostate Cancer UK Direct as well. Bear in mind, prostate cancer affects one in two men in the UK over the age of 50. So if you are if you are not afflicted by it, then you probably know somebody who is. So please, please, please get yourselves checked. Right, let's move on to the reason we're actually here, the raison d'etre of Carl and Kenneth sitting in the bar. Football, a beautiful game, soccer. It's been an interesting weekend. There's an interesting weekend coming up. We have got this interview with John Gidman, who will be telling us all about what football was like in his day. But first, Steve, you've got a trivia question. I have indeed. And in true Jeff Saunders style, who is not here today, here is the trivia question, which we shall be giving you the answer before the interview. Since 1982, only two clubs have had players representing their country in every final of a World Cup. Who are they? All right, we shall find out later on. Intriguing and interesting, Steve. Thank you very much for that. Look, for me as a Tottenham fan, another frustrating weekend. Tottenham were playing the bottom club, Watford, uh, who, as we've said on this show last week, probably better than their position indicates. However, Tottenham were at home, brand new billion pound stadium, England internationals, foreign internationals playing for them, very expensive players, players that got to the Champions League final. They were held to a draw at home by bottom club Watford. Not only that, Watford were winning until just a, a few minutes to go when Dali Ali popped up and scored his first goal in a long time. There were some controversial VAR decisions in that match and the match on Sunday between Manchester United and Liverpool. But he hasn't turned the corner, has he, Pochettino, at Tottenham? Not really. No, no. one all draw at home, not no, great. No, no, he hasn't turned the corner. I mean, the whole, the whole VAR thing, I suppose, was varsical. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that had to come out sooner or later. So, yes, as a Tottenham fan, you know, I'm disappointed, but also, you know, VAR continues to be a talking point. Look, you saw the incident, I saw the incident involving Deli Alley and the goal. We were completely confused. Bearing in mind, we were, we were doing some punditry work at the time, and, you know, we, we weren't entirely sure whether that, was a, that should have counted as a goal or not. And it's the first time, I believe, that a referee has overruled... VAR in a Premier League match. Yeah, because it went to VAR. And don't forget, VAR is not some robot that measures distances and brings you a logical, accurate conclusion. It is still people watching television, like we do. So they're watching a video playback. They said it wasn't a goal. The referee said, yes, it is. Sadly for me, 
being an Arsenal supporter. Yeah. I actually believe that was a goal. I think the referee was right. VAR is there, much like a referendum, just in an advisory capacity. It, it doesn't have to be taken as gospel. And he did overrule it, and it is his right to do that. He's asking them what they think. They then give the, him an explanation of, we think it was offside or handball because A, B, C, or player X fouled player Y. And he says, all right, that's what you saw, what you think, but actually, no. I like your referendum analogy there on the basis that VAR has split the country equally as yeah. much as Brexit, I think. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Unlike with the other one, I'm all for VAR. Um, however, however, it does need some tweaking. Jurgen Klopp, after yesterday's game, which we'll be talking about later, because we are recording after Liverpool were held to a draw at Old Trafford, or depending how you look at it, or Man United were held to a draw at home. It just depends, you know, the way you look at things. But VAR, you know, it's gone against Tottenham this season a few times. But the point is, Tottenham couldn't beat Watford at home. They've got Champions League football this week. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then we're playing Liverpool next week. It doesn't look good yeah, for The Spurs, next round of games, it? we've got Liverpool. So, you know, Liverpool, having been held to a draw, will be fighting to get back on winning ways. And Tottenham will be just trying to not leak goals. But we've discussed this many times. But what's the, pro- times, but what's the problem at Tottenham? There's a big split in the dressing room, isn't there? Let's, let's be honest. And, and I don't think Pochettino knows how to repair that split because I don't think it's one of those splits that is reparable given the nature of what has occurred at White Hart Lane. Mm. I, I, I mean, you know, you've got some very, very personal issues there and I know that they're professional players and they do play to the best of their ability. You know, we laugh and we joke and, you know, we have a bit of banter about these players but they are professional players and they do play to the best of their abilities but sometimes if you've got a serious issue, a serious emotional issue such as what has occurred between Vertonghen and Eriksson that has split the dressing room, that has involved the captain of the club, mm. you're going to get Problems now. Problems aren't just faced there because obviously Larice is um, Larice is out with with an awful injury as well, yep. which hasn't helped. Okay, he's only been out for one game. I, I think in this particular instance, we've underestimated Watford. Watford actually are not a bad side. I still think they're going to go down, but I don't think that they're as bad as their position shows at the moment. Mm. I, I think because of the nature of their defeats, they will go down, but they are a better side in their position really is showing as far as Tottenham go you know we've got Lloris out of course uh, until January with that nasty injury not to mention of course that's uh, Sessignon who we signed in the summer hasn't even played yet still injured and he was a big signing for Tottenham uh, Lo Celso who also massive signing for Tottenham played a couple hardly even 90 minutes this season yet he's due to come back again from injury Deli Alley's been carrying injuries for a long time not only that Ndombele uh, who was the, probably the biggest of all those signings, probably the big star name. He's probably wondering if the ink on his contract is dry yet and trying to get out of it because he must wonder what kind of a mess he's got himself into. What, what's happened? He'd watched them in the Champions League final, seen how they played as a team against Ajax in the semi-final, all those things. And then he comes into this team. He scores on his debut on the first game of the season and then he gets injured and now he's coming back from injury. He must be wondering, I wonder if I can move again in January because look at, I mean, look at the disarrays that he's got himself into. And he is a class act. You've just mentioned two very important games there. The game against Ajax and the Champions League final. Two polar opposites. Now, Tottenham played above themselves against Ajax. Ajax, for me, were the best team in that tournament. Tottenham played amazingly well. Got the required results necessary to take them through to the final. They played well above themselves. They were fantastic. In the final against Liverpool, they were... I wouldn't say abject because that's not no. fair. I mean, they, they were okay, but they were within themselves. And that trend has continued. I think from that semi-final up until now, Tottenham have not really played to their strength. They've not played well at all. No, and let's let's be honest. I mean, that final was a highlight because for many games before that, the last quarter of the season, we were losing and drawing games we should be winning. So yeah. it's not just this season. People are forgetting it because there was that peak in between losing a load of games and now losing a load of games this season. There was that peak of getting to a Champions League final and being high profile. But it goes back to last season. It's, um, the Ericsson and uh, Vertonghen thing, we do have to say, is allegedly. We don't know. Of course, of course. Um, that has obviously been, if it is true, been a big part of it. But this does go back further than I think people are, are, are allowing. Well, then maybe, maybe the question should be asked is... Pochettino's stock been valued too highly and he's actually not as good as we believe he he is. 
Oh, I think no. I think he's an excellent manager. I think with the funds he's had to spend over the five years he's been there, we've said it before on the show, four out of five years he's got us into the Champions League. league. Uh, it was only once in 13 years before that. Different set of players, but he's, he's been very restricted on his budget and his transfers. He, I think, you know, he's a human being like the rest of us. He's, I think he's getting tired and it's just becoming, you keep trying to do the right thing and you keep coming up with the right ideas, but it doesn't pay off either because of things beyond your control, like transfer market, like arguments between the players, like the players going on international duty, like losing a Champions League final and being deflated, all these things that might be out of your control, and you keep trying to do the right thing, and it's not getting you a trophy year after year. I think you, he, as a person, as a human being, is starting to lose faith in himself. His reaction and the way he interacts with the players may have changed as well. Because you look at Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, he's, he's, he's a very dynamic man-manager, or person-manager. The way he's so enthusiastic he get, gels the players together. To keep that up non-stop for five years and keep players motivated for five years without any result apart from qualifying from the Champions League, at some point you're going to lose faith in that ability of your own. Again, you hit on an interesting point. You were saying Pochettino is doing the right thing. If you keep doing the right thing and it's not gleaning results, it's not gleaning trophies, well, my question is, is he not doing the wrong thing then? Well, that's a, a logical answer to my question. I just, as I say, a lot of it, I think, out of his control. He hasn't had the budget that uh, many of the, the clubs around him have. Certainly not a top four budget. Yeah, but the, the thing is, Spurs, you know, up until the Ajax semi-final, have been playing probably the best football in, in England. Well, I mean, as I said before, you know, a few minutes ago, they, they had been the last quarter of the season, they'd started to lose a lot of games that they shouldn't have done and struggled to actually get forward. We'd been in third place or nearly all season and then the last 10 games or so we just managed to scrape it on the last day of the season with a draw but then that implies that there has to be an issue with the coaching then as well as obviously the other off the field problems there is a problem with the coaching because you can't do what Tottenham have done Mm. which you know last season as I say probably playing for certainly for three quarters of the season the best football in England then all of a sudden falling away completely after uh, Champions League semi-final something Mm. has fundamentally gone wrong between then and now. So that would then indicate, as I say, would disregard the off-the-field activities, but it implies that there is an issue now with the coaching. Now, whether that's the players are not responding to the coach, whether the coach has lost his way, it's mm. which is distinctly possible. As I happens. said, it could be because it hasn't yeah. paid off for him. And he goes, what else can I do? But then if you look at Manchester United in a smaller way, they've had a similar pl- problem. When mm. you look, when Solskjaer came in, he could do no wrong. As soon as he signed the contract, he could do no right. Yeah. So something's going on there as well. There are parallels between those two clubs. There definitely are. I think we'll come on to Liverpool uh, away at Manchester United in just a moment. I just want to run this idea by you regarding Pochettino and Jose Mourinho because after the Watford game, having drawn and not won and having lost the the week before to Brighton and then having lost before that 7-2 to Bayern Munich, People are beginning, even loyal Pochettino fans at Tottenham, beginning to get a bit frustrated, even if they think he's a good manager. They think he's possibly just come to the end of his shelf life there or his run. And the Jose Mourinho to Tottenham is becoming a more... It's becoming less unpopular with the Tottenham fans. Now, I, this isn't my own idea. This isn't something I've come up with. Uh, it's some, something I saw on Facebook on a um, Tottenham Hotspur fan site called Glory Glory Tottenham Hotspur, just to give them the credit. One of the people on there, one of the Tottenham fans, said basically, bear with me, guys, but what do you think of this? We know that Mourinho is only a short-term prospect because he is known for leaving after two, two and a half, maximum three seasons anywhere. We need to find a replacement for Pochettino who will be long term. We have a dreadful defence. It's undisciplined. Mourinho plays very defensive football. He would sort out our defensive coaching, not just his own coaching, but the other coaches and how to coach defence. He would tighten up our defence. Every team Mourinho goes to wins at least one trophy in his tenure. It might be the League Cup, it might be the Europa League, but within that two and a half years, they will win one trophy. Winning a trophy helps the team gel and become motivated and have self-belief and confidence. It also helps to attract better players to sign for the club. Then, after two years, he'll leave. During that two years, the board will have time to find a a long-term replacement for him while he has improved the defence and got us a trophy. That's a very interesting, quite complicated theory, but I don't think that's the way football boards and football club owners think. But get him in for two years because they know he'll leave anyway, whatever they, whether they like it or not. Let him gel the defence, let him gel the team, win a trophy, get the confidence back and then move on. It's not an unreasonable argument, is it? But he may well bolster the defence, and I'm pretty sure he will, because that is his strength. 
I think you're going to lose players like Harry Kane. You'll lose Son. You'll you'll lose Ericsson. Tottenham will lose their attacking edge. And I, I think that that could actually be more detrimental to the situation that they're in at the moment. Not knocking Mourinho as a manager. I think he's a fantastic manager. As we both know, his strength lays in defence and not in attack. I think at that point, I think the point that you see Pochettino go will be the point that you see Kane go and you will see possibly Son go as well. I tend to agree with that one. We are heading towards our John Gidman interview. He of Manchester United, Manchester City, Everton and all those other teams he played for. Briefly, I just want to talk about Manchester United against Liverpool because I watched the game. Manchester United in the first half yesterday, they uh, drew up one all, but in the first half they were attacking Liverpool in ways. Very rarely came to anything. Marcus Rashford has got his mojo back. Uh, he did score. There was some controversy about the manner in which it happened because there was a foul previous to it that was fairly innocuous, but the fellow did throw himself to the ground as if he'd been shot. Poor old James, who plays for Manchester United about five foot six, was getting bullied up, bullied by Virgil van Dijk, who's about nine foot tall. He was getting barged to the ground all the time. It was quite a physical game. Jürgen Klopp came out afterwards and said that you know he didn't like the way Manchester United played so defensively because Liverpool are so good that that was the only way they could play. The game I saw, United were, were reasonably attacking, and it's the best I've seen them play for a long time. A draw is probably the right result because um, it's probably the worst Liverpool have played for a long time and the best United have played for a long time, so it made for an interesting game. But getting that draw, is, is that enough to get the confidence around? It's certainly enough for Solskjaer to keep his job because there was talk that if they lost 4 or 5 nil, he, like Mourinho, who was sacked after a Liverpool game, game would also be sacked but a draw was that that's enough to keep his job is it enough for United to turn it around have they got more of a, ch- more of a chance of turning it around than Tottenham because I'm a little bit worried that they, ha- they have uh, again uh, Manchester United along along with Watford are another team that are playing better than their position belies look Solskjaer hasn't gone and become a bad manager directly after signing his contract there, there were problems there he's had a lot of injuries to contend with as well which people tend to forget Manchester United are a good, are a decent side. They're a good side. They're they're a top six side. Oh, uh, sure, yeah. You know they've not been firing. You know what? Every club in the country will go through a bad patch, unless you're Manchester City, of course. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, no, I mean, that's not true. Actually, they've lost to Wolves at home. They the have indeed. Yes, yeah. Manchester United are going through a bit of a ropey pack. They're not a bad side. They're, they're devoid of a striker. They will sign a striker. I, I'm pretty confident they're going to sign a striker in the January transfer window. They have to. They really have to. I mean, they, they sold Lukaku. Solskjaer sort of indicated this week that he regretted selling him. I mean, he probably at the time thought he was going to get a striker. He didn't. Uh, Lukaku's now scored, what is it, five goals in eight games in Serie A for Inter Milan. You can't stop scoring. Uh, obviously, because he's happier. He's been treated the right way. And obviously, he wasn't at United. United desperately needed a striker. Roy Keane on Sky Sports suggested after the game, he suggested that United's problems will be all solved if they just go and get Harry Kane in January. Why would Kane Kane go from Tottenham to United anyway? Is he a United-style player? No, he's not. Um, I don't see Kane... I mean, I see Kane, Real Madrid. I can see that because they they play in a specific way that that would probably be beneficial to him as a striker. Manchester United don't really play in that way. Uh, he's, he's not that type of striker. I think Roy Keane is off the mark on this one. But then, he, well, he played professional football at a very high level. I, I barely got out of the local boys club's youth team. I barely got out of bed. We agree that uh, Manchester United need a striker. We just don't know who and who would want to go there. But they definitely need a striker. You mentioned injuries. Something I noticed yesterday, they did mention the commentators during the game. Luke Shaw. I'd forgotten he, he was even a footballer. Yeah. It's been that long since I've heard his name. They've got, they've got Luke Shaw out. Obviously, Pogba was out yesterday. They have got a, an injury list. They have got an injury problem, as Tottenham do. Well, yeah, indeed. In fact, Luke Shaw at one point was mooted to come to Arsenal quite a while back. Really good player. And he is, a, he is a player that is missed, you know. Same with Pogba. Obviously, Pogba's out. You're going to miss him. Manchester United, Liverpool, both teams are going to be going hell for leather against each other in the same way Arsenal Spurs would or Villa Birmingham. You know, it is a derby. It is a big derby. That is a, Actually, that is a good point. And somebody made that point yesterday. And I said, Man United are playing some of the best football I've seen them play this season. This person said, of course they are. Because they, both teams are always fired up for this, traditionally, for the last 100 years. This is the biggest game for them because there is that Liverpool-Manchester rivalry. If, if they're going to be wound up and, and ready for a game, it's this one. So possibly that extra special performance from Man United where they look better than they have done, they, they went up a gear just because it was Liverpool, which means that the problems are still there then. Problems are still there, but they're not unresolvable problems. I think 
Manchester United problems are less prevalent than Tottenham's problems. I think Tottenham are, are in big trouble, whereas Manchester United, I think it needs to, it, it's more of a case of tweaking, as we said just before, buying in a striker. They've got a defence there. I think they've only conceded eight goals in nine games, which is pretty decent. Not a bad mm. defensive record. But considering where they're on the league, yes. well, yeah, exactly. So they just can't score goals. They just can't score. Uh, yesterday in yesterday's games, I mean, they, Rashford got a, a wonderful goal. But after that, I mean, they did hit the bar. They, they worked the ball into the box nicely. Nobody could stick it away because it's just not that, that special striker or uh, forward player. Yeah, it's quite funny, actually. In theory, Manchester United need Spurs' attacking per- potency and Spurs need Manchester United's defensive prowess. Yeah. You, you mix the two together and you've got two very, very good sides. Well, yeah, actually, yeah, we could have Tottenham United and Manchester Hotspur. Yeah. Or just make one decent team out of what they've got, the two well, squads. Pretty much, just, yeah. Yeah, just have one team and play Which brings us back to our combined 11 again, doesn't it? it? Does. When we first started the podcast. That's right. Uh, do listen back to our episodes. There are many of them and they're all there for eternity for you to listen to, of course, on wherever you're listening to this now. Uh, and also, of course, on Spotify, Anchor FM, Wooshka.com. You can find all the details on our Facebook page, Carl and Kenneth sitting in the bar. Steve, let's move on quickly to cover the rest of the uh, Premier League games that were played over the last round. Because we've been talking about Pochettino getting sacked, or possibly moving on, uh, Marino taking over, talking about Solskjaer maybe saving his job. Bit dramatic, but there you are. Everton. We talked on the last podcast about how Everton, another team that should be far further up than they are, they actually won. So Silva has kept his job for another week. They beat West Ham 2-0 in the early game on Saturday. Again, is that just papering over the cracks or have they turned a corner, Everton? And were, was there just some blip there? Because a lot of these, a lot of people are still saying with Manchester United and Tottenham, it's a, gl- it's a, it's a blip, it's a glitch. It's, it's just a little bit of a, a low point and they'll turn the corner. But Ever- Everton have been misfiring. Like Wolverhampton Wanderers who've suddenly moved way up the table. They, well, you, you saw the game, you know, again, we were, we were doing commentary and punditry on that particular game as well and you know what Everton could have had six you know they've scored twice uh, Walcott hit the crossbar another shot hit the post and there were two disallowed goals as well which were rightly disallowed they were, they were both offside the point is Everton were in the position to put the ball in the back of the net West Ham looked a shadow of themselves they looked shocking at the back they were being carved open time and time and time again from you know down either flank and down the middle it, it it wasn't a West Ham side that I recognised. And I've I've said, certainly previously in the podcast, I fancied West Ham to possibly challenge for a top six place. But on that performance, no. no. Uh, Everton, on the other hand, looked a decent side. So whether Silver's found the right combination on the pitch to allow Everton to fire consistently, only time is going to tell. But they certainly looked a good side on Saturday. Yeah, and another couple of results that are quite interesting. Two of the teams that came up uh, had what I would call very good results. Uh, first of all, Norwich got a nil-nil draw away at Bournemouth. Now, Norwich's priority, as with Aston Villa, uh, for example, is to stay up. Mm. Just come into Premier League. An away point doesn't matter where it is, Bournemouth or Liverpool. It, an away point is precious. So Norwich, you know, having beaten Man City, they lost the next game badly. But an away point is an away point, and I think that's that's a good result for Norwich. Aston Villa beat your favourites to go down. Brighton, who beat Tottenham last week, which we then thought that you were wrong about them going down, but they got beat this this last time out. Uh, 2-1 by Aston Villa. Grealish, who's still at Villa, yeah. uh, despite talks of him going to Tottenham, by and the way. And Arsenal as well. And Arsenal. Grealish uh, scored. But uh, yeah, 2-1 to Villa. They were at home to Brighton. Who I put them on a similar kind of level myself. Oh, no, I disagree. I mean, look, they, they scored a very, very late goal. It was uh, 90 minutes. It was four minutes, actually, into into uh, injury time, uh, Matt Target hitting the hitting the target. Oh, um, sorry, you see what I did there. Do you know what Aston Villa are a better side than I? Th- I think they're a lot better side than Brighton. I think Aston Villa could well be a mid-table side. You know, it takes time to adjust to the Premier mm. League pace and what have you. And I think Norwich have got a very very good chance of staying up as well. They're a they're a better side than their position shows yeah. as well. So you we're looking at we're looking at Newcastle, Brighton, and Watford at the moment as the worst, as as our, our sort of current yeah. predictions, if you like. Well, again, Newcastle. Now that's an interesting one because they played fantastic on Saturday despite losing one nil. They held Chelsea 
right up until the 74th minute. And Chelsea are a very, very good side at the moment. Again, this is a side that's going to challenge for the top three spot, never mind top six. All right. You know, they're, I, I can see Chelsea finishing third. They're a good side, I think. Well, Frank they did Lampard, last season. They're not, yeah. they're, I mean, they're not a different team, really. No, no. And I think Frank Lampard has found his feet. He's got some consistency going there. He's, he's winning pragmatically as well. He's, he's, he's built or coached, I should say, a very good side. And, you know, they're not winning spectacularly all the time, but they're grinding out results. And Newcastle, I mean, I'm with Jeff on this. I think they've been terrible all season, but they've had two good results. Well, no, they've had one good result and they've had another good performance. And that other good performance was against Chelsea on Saturday. So maybe Newcastle might actually be turning a corner as well, despite that defeat. Well, yeah, I mean, they beat Manchester United, which was a surprise to everybody. They're narrowly losing to Chelsea. You'd expect Chelsea to have done better there. So despite losing... You say the performance has got better, so there, there might be a chance for Newcastle. There, there might be, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work that's got to go in there, but I, I think that they've got every every possibility of turning the corner. Let's have a little chat about Leicester against Burnley. Leicester, it was the one-year anniversary of the death of their owner, so they, there was quite an emotional day there. Uh, they just managed to scrape the win in the end. Bur- Burnley were, were playing really well, actually. Uh, both sides were very, very even. To be honest, I think I thought Burnley were a bit unfortunate to lose that game. Yeah, I mean, two two very good sides, really, along with Wolves. You know, these sort of what, what you could call the, the, the not-so-super-rich clubs, Leicester, Burnley, Wolves, beginning to make a, a competition of it with the, with the big boys. And uh, Leicester are actually in third place at the moment, currently. Ironically enough, had Burnley had won, they'd have gone up to third. Well, so two very good teams, as you indeed, say. Indeed, indeed. All right, listen, that's all we've got time for for this part of the show. We are going to go to Steve's trivia question before we move on to our interview. Okay. The answer... The answer, indeed. But I shall repeat the question. Since 1982, only two clubs have had players representing their country in every final of a World Cup. Who are they? I've no idea, Steve. Do tell us. Tell the world. The answer is Inter Milan and Bayern Munich have had players representing their country in every final since 1982. Now, we're not talking about the actual tournament itself, but the final itself. The actual final game. Yeah, the final final. So that just shows how, how good they are. They've Indeed got some of the best does. players, obviously. Indeed. Absolutely. I think it's time for us to move on to our interview with John Gidman, which we recorded earlier. From Steve. Hello, Steve. And from me, hello, Chris. Over to you, Chris and Steve. Well, thank you, uh, Chris and Steve, for that. Uh, yes, we are here talking to Kevin Johnson of Scandal's Bar, Lounge and Restaurant in Calahonda. On the Costa del Sol, they've just had a brilliant event raising money for Prostate Cancer UK. We'll be speaking about that in just a moment. We're also very privileged to have with us uh, one of the stars of that event, legendary footballer John Gidman. He of Manchester United, Manchester City, Everton and Aston Villa. We're going to be speaking in depth to him about his sparkling career and, of course, about the charity. But first of all, Steve, Kenneth Kenton, have a little chat with Kevin for us. Good afternoon, Kevin. So, first off, what prompted you to get involved with uh, with the uh, Prostate Cancer UK charity? It just came up one afternoon. Uh, Me and John was talking sat down having a beer and we just decided to raise some funds for a, a worthy charity. And, and the event, uh, as we're well aware, was well attended. Uh, you raised an awful lot of money. The event itself wasn't the only event that, that raised a lot of money because I know that you're involved um, with Leicester Speedway as well. Yes, well, what it is is a friend of mine who runs Leicester Speedway, he offered his help as well to raise funds. So they had a big collection that night and raised a lot of money. John and Steve, they've offered their free time to do this on the evening. Uh, which we have done and there's been a lot of people that's offered their help and they've all all done free time everybody's put in their worth that's fantastic kevin thank you very much thank you steve john john gidman legendary footballer you of course along with steve staunton were one of the stars of that show i believe you're very passionate about the prostate cancer uk charity is it because you've been personally affected or you know people particularly in the game uh, who have suffered from this personally i haven't been affected touch wood i do take the the time to get checked every six months with the age being is what we are yes i do know one of the two people and one person in particular was brian kidd at man city he was one of those people who who unfortunately but fortunately contracted it before it got into a second stage or third stage as kevin has said to you you know we've been sitting here talking about doing something um and giving our time up as i say stevie Stones and myself we have done things back in england we've never done anything in the respect of 
raising money and I know Sky Sports with Jeff Sterling it's one of his babies and uh, most of the footballers will always sort of like back on that you know the likes of Phil Thompson Charlie Nicholas etc we decided yeah let's have a go and it was very successful if uh, people want more details you can search prostate cancer UK all right Steve okay so moving on to your football career right smiled ahead John <laughs> You started off at Liverpool as a youth team player, didn't you? I was taken on as, a, as an apprentice and um, at that time a two-year contract was given to me and um, but it didn't work out the way it should have. Well, it, uh, it did lead on to a sparkling career, of course, with, first of all, Liverpool's rivals, Everton. I think, I think when you look at it in, in respect of every father, every mother who've got kids, that's saying one door closes, another door opens. It's the perfect answer, and that was my case. That would, I suppose, be a regret. What would you, what would you call your, the biggest highlight of your career with all those fantastic international world-famous clubs you put, played for? If I put the two together, the day I was called into Bill Shankly's office and told the news, which I can't repeat on this, well, yeah, he said I was shite in a more stronger way. <laughs> it was sort of like I was just on 17. No, I was 16 when he'd done that, and I, I looked at the situation through my career and the highlight that conquered the bad thing was putting on the England shirt against Luxembourg at Wembley in a, a World Cup qualifier and then after the they played the national anthem uh, the first thing that came to me was Bill Shankly and I thought right proved you wrong. That being the case now you you were a manager of uh, Kings Lynn weren't you um, for a period of time <laughs> looking back retrospectively as a manager as opposed to a player do you think that Bill Shankly at the time was justified in what he did or would, would you have handled it differently as a manager yourself as I wasn't equipped to be a manager I one of the other players Brian Little got me into this saying that they were they were looking for a manager and I, I, I really uh, I haven't got the attitude my opinion about football is totally totally different from others going back to Shanks's position of giving me the boot wasn't really down to Shankly when I look at it it's down to the the person who looks after that youth team I've never been a yes man in my life I've always told people what I think. What you get out of my mouth is what you get, you know. Going back to your playing career, we're now looking, of course, you mentioned Luxembourg. We're looking at the very, very strange setup in the England setup currently, uh, losing to the Czech Republic and then beating Bulgaria. What is your opinion of the current England setup compared to how it was in your day? Well, it's totally changed. They've totally, even the way they're treated now is, is uh, they're putting cotton wool from the time they get up until um, they go to bed. Uh, the money is totally different. No regrets about that. I've got a nice life. I think the more athletes physically than what it was in the 70s, 80s. You know, I, I look at George Best and I played against Bestie and he, he, he played on pitches that were like cow fields and I'd like to see these players play on pitches like that to see if their control was as good as his, you know. Do you think that there is now an, an overemphasis on the business side of the football industry rather than the sporting side of the football industry? Well, they used to say in our day, like, most of the footballers wanted to be rock stars then, didn't they? Because, you know, it was sort of like, look at them, smashing hotels up, getting drunk, taking drugs and whatever. But we didn't smash hotels up, we didn't take drugs, but we did get drunk. I think these days, they're earning so much money, they can go and buy a £5 million house and build their own pub in there, you know? So it's a locked door. Basically, they can smash their own pub up. <laughs> I, I think there's a few tight bastards out there, so, you know, <laughs> I don't think they would. Well, talking, talking of the difference between then and now, football has evolved since then, and you mentioned George Best and, you know, how would these players play against him on that sort of pitch. What do you think has changed in football? Is it just the money? And has it become a better spectator sport in that sense? Has money improved the game? And has it also done I think, I the think disservice? From my, my, my point of view, I think I'm glad I played in the 70s, 80s and just the beginning of the 90s. I don't think I would have enjoyed playing today. Yeah, for the money. But I said I earned good money when I played. To go through a player, now they roll about. And I mean, they roll about for 10 minutes and then they get up and there's nothing wrong with them. So I, I, I just think that's a bit, 
you know, it takes it takes the, the, the pleasure out of playing football. It's become more of a theatre, but they've taken advantage of that to get an advantage in the game. Well, it, it came from Spain originally, didn't it? I think when someone used to tap their ankles and they'd do about 20 rollovers and then get up. It's called doing a Neymar, isn't doing it? Neymar. Yeah. Yeah. Neymar. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you're talking about, you know, the, the money side of it as well. I mean, you, you were one of the, the, the highest valued defenders in, in the football league at the time, weren't you, when I swapped it uh, I mean, when you moved from Villa to Everton? I, I, I didn't want to leave Villa. I was forced into it. Me and Andy Gray were in a, a really bad position with Ron Saunders. Everyone said we were leaving for money, but the money wasn't any cause of the situation. It was the fact that Ron Saunders couldn't handle us. He, he, he was at Man City for 46 days, I believe. And he had the old team there, Colin Bell, Franny Lee, etc., etc., etc. And he just couldn't handle it. And when he came to Villa, he's got myself, who's an upcoming footballer, Andy Gray, and we were playing for, he was playing for Scotland, I was playing for England. And he just couldn't control that situation. So the first thing he wanted, I've got to get these guys out, you know. And so the knives started throwing. Villa had a really good side back then as well. I mean, I, you know, I, I can remember, that, you know, that as you say. If he'd, if he'd kept the side without sticking the knives in me and Andy, mm. that side would have won the league the following season. That's yeah. how good it was. We beat Liverpool 5-1, you know. We were clicking and it, it, everything was there to, to do a good job. But going back to when I left, and I didn't want to go back to Liverpool, but... Everton came in and made 800,000 offer for us in 79. That's a lot of money for a fullback. Considering, you know, what uh, Trevor Francis had only, uh, he, had only went, recently moved just, to just yeah. touch under a million. And Andy but, went to Wolves for a million. So yeah. in those days, uh, it put a bit of pressure on me because they thought that I'd probably change the team. But to be honest with you, it was probably the one of the 16 months of my, of my life I didn't enjoy. It's just that I couldn't, I couldn't, fit in with the system you know I, I was told uh, quite a few lies by the manager he wants me to do this and my strength as a, a fullback was going forward all the time but he didn't want me to do that because there was I won't mention the names <laughs> there was a couple of players who couldn't even play you know well, you mentioned there um, being undervalued or misused as a defender there. Now defenders are like the new rock stars in many ways. The amount of money that people are paying, 80 million for Maguire. Do you think being a defender has changed since your day. Is it down to the high press that teams are playing now? And do you think defenders were undervalued in your day, money-wise and, and recognition-wise? Well, skillful-wise, when I look at the, 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 the defenders, like fullbacks, for instance, you know, I was doing what they're doing now, you know, probably bombing more forward than, than ever. When it comes down to the centre-backs, it's all this side passing, you know, and then they're looking for a break, they're looking for a break, and... I just get pissed off with it, looking at it, because I know Maguire, 80 million. I could get Kevin, who's sitting here, to do that and pass it to the fullback and get it back and then pass it to the other fullback. Yeah, I mean, some of, some of the way they play, ways they're playing now is passing it around the back. First of all, you're getting into a lot of trouble. I'm a Tottenham fan, and they just can't do that playing out from the back. But also, it's a good cure for, for insomnia, isn't it? You, you've, only, you've only got to look at the socrates Guendozi situation. Um, of, I mean, if you back. look at the Simple. Arsenal game the other week, I think they played Watford and they went back to Arsenal to play. I don't know who it was. And there's this rule where two defenders can go in the box now to receive the ball. They gave goals away within, within consecutive weeks. Just to change the subject a little bit, what is the weirdest and funniest thing a fan has ever asked you for or about? When I was a kid, 18, playing at Portsmouth. And I mean, you talk about... We had her down here, me and Brian Little, and we were playing with the likes of Bruce Rioch and that, and Portsmouth was gated in with iron, iron bars. I was a cocky lad, you know, and they used to have the old policeman walking around the pitch with the, the bobby hat, and I was bouncing the ball waiting for this guy to get treatment off the, off the physio. And I turned around, and this big Portsmouth guy, tattoos everywhere, called me a scouse bastard. And I turned around and said, how's your missus? She was all right last night. And I just laughed, and his face just turned, and I carried on. Next thing is, this guy's over the fucking railings. Well, you've never seen me move. <laughs> the manager oh, asked you, why can't you do that? I was right, right into the middle of the pitch with the referee saying, look at this, look at this, he's got to get chucked out here. He's after me for summer. I don't know what I've done. <laughs>
Anyway, he got lynched, but as he was going out, he said, I will be waiting for you outside. So that was a police escort onto the coach. <laughs> <laughs> Superb. You, you were involved, I, I, if my memory serves me right here, it was around about 1976, you were involved, I think, in a game versus Leicester, where Chris Nicholl put, put all four coals in, in a two-all draw. Was he lynched in the dressing room? No, it's just one of those games. Just literally, it's it's like winning the, the jackpot on the Euro Millions. It, it never happens, does it? But you go up, you score two, and you come back, and you put two in your own net. That, that is a record that still stands. Again, you, uh, again, it's just the wrong place at the wrong time. Going back to your career, beating Everton in an FA Cup final. Yeah. Did you, I mean, obviously, it's one of the highlights, of course, but did you have mixed feelings about that, having been an Everton player? No, not at all. No. It was complete delight. I mean, I've never been so pissed for three days in my life. <laughs> Celebrating, if I remember rightly, the Martin Edwards came in the dressing room before the game and everything had been sorted out with bonuses and on your contracts and etc. And he came in and he just said, anyone who's not got a tracksuit on or the manager with the suit, please leave the room. And he came in and he shut the door. He said, right. He said, this is worth so much to Man United. If you win today, you'll be in Montego Bay on Tuesday for two weeks, everything paid for. Well, you can imagine after the whistle was blown, that's why we were pissed for three days. <laughs> Fantastic. Do you think, uh, as a double FA Cup winner, do you think the FA Cup itself has now been devalued, especially with a few seasons ago, Manchester United pulling out of the tournament? I think, I think you could be right there because it's still it's the favourites of every player. If you can pick up an FA Cup medal, it's, it's the hardest FA Cup medal to pick up. It is. I mean, the league is hard, but the FA Cup, it's every boy's dream of... It's like, you know, the shoot magazine when we were all kids... Um, your dream is, I'd love to get that FA Cup. It, it, it's like the Copa del Rey in Spain, you know. They want to win it. Mm. And it's the same in England. Every player, but it's the managers now who think, I'd like to go to Europe. I'd like to think of winning the league. I'd like to be in the top four. So, again, you'd have to blame the managers on that one, not the players. Would would, would you, uh, as an ex-Man United player, uh, and you, I think you, you moved on as Fergie came in around about the same sort of period, wasn't it? I um, I was I broke my leg the season afterwards at Ipswich and uh, I got back in the side. He, uh, Akko went and bought Silverbeck. What happened then was I knew I was coming. I was 32, 33, and you come into the end of your tether. And uh, he just said to me, "Giddy," and I said, "Well, look," I said, "Instead of letting me go and play in the reserves, be a gentleman as you are, pay my contract up." give me a free and let me see, can I get a club? And they did, you know, and uh, I only got halfway down the motorway and the car phone went and it was Man C. Would you, would you have liked to have worked under Fergie, though? As no. A, as a player? <laughs> <laughs> He'd have more than walking one air dryer. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that would work. Staying with managers and Manchester United, what do you make of Solskjaer and Ed uh, Woodward hiring Moyes, sacking Moyes, yeah. carrying on Van Gaal and, and so on and so on, hiring and sacking, hiring and sacking. Who's got to go first, Solskjaer or Woodward? And what do you make of Solskjaer's tenure as a whole? My opinion on Solskjaer is the fact that he he was he's, he, he done himself proud as a player. He was under the wing of Fergie. And he's gone to Norway, he's come back, he's got his badges. He went to Cardiff and he couldn't keep them all. They went down. And somehow, somewhere, they've gone and changed the system, Man United, and said, we need someone in. So they brought him in. He'd done a good job. Eight games, ten games. They should have just left it like that. But this is my opinion, you know. They should have left it like that until the end of the season and then take stock of what the situation is, what players are going to go, what players are going to come in, and said to Solskjaer, listen, here's a million quid. Thanks for your time. The door's always open for you but we are looking for a more experienced manager. But they, they panicked again, gave him a three-year contract, and it's gone a bit pear-shaped at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think I tend to agree with you. It was a little bit too early for him, um, perhaps, yeah. perhaps several years down the line. And I think he may have lost the, the, the dressing room a little bit. Much like, do you think Pochettino at Tottenham has lost the dressing room as well? We all know the rumours about stuff going on in the background. What's happening at Tottenham, do you think? What's the problem there? I don't and would that have it, happened in your day? I don't think it's a big thing down at Tottenham, but, I mean, 
He is a great manager. The guy's proved himself at Southampton. He's proved himself at Tottenham. It'd be interesting if he did move up to, to Man United. He seems one of those guys who's got a stern face to where he may get respect. I mean, there is one or two people in the dressing room probably need to, to be pushed out because they are controlling the dressing room. But I'm not going to mention names. No, we all know who you're referring to, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Just, everybody listening can fill in the blank there, and I'm sure we'll all be uh, agreeing on that. You, you spent a period of time at Darlington. Uh, I think you made something like 13-odd appearances. Berry Football Club. Now, you know, Darlington in the lower division, Berry, unfortunately gone to the wall. What's your view on that as, as to how that's happened and should other clubs have stepped in I to mean, help? I was dragged into that through Brian Little, you know. He asked me as a favour. I was 34 and I, I went up and I knew the carrot had left then. I had kids of 18 who wanted to go through me, break, break my leg, do this because you've done it, you've done it. And I went up to Darlington. First it was fucking cold. Second, I think my car was worth more than the stadium. I literally, when I walked in, I just went, oh my God, what have I done here? I think I played half a dozen games. I didn't think I'd even played 14. Because I, I think I came in one day and they got relegated. And Brian, Brian said to me, he said, listen, I don't think I can keep you on with the wage. I said, don't worry, I want out because I, I'm finished. I said, it's gone, the carrot's gone. And once that carrot goes, forget it. Moving on then, I mean, with, with regard to the current situation with Berry, what, what's your view as to what's happened to them? Being, bearing in mind they're the same sort of It's just a shame what have in, you. The, in the respect. I don't know too much about the lower divisions, and that, that sounds a bit snobbish, but it isn't. It, it's a, One, I don't follow Berry, but it's a bad situation. It's been in the league for a long, long time, and then you get these businessmen come in, thinking that they're going to make a few bob and they don't know how to run a football club and that's when the shit hits the fan really he should have had someone who knew the knowledge of football to control the allowance but he didn't he, he went in there and he thought he knew everything and do you see um the leagues reducing from 92 clubs to maybe 70 76 something, something around i hope that not because you know these guys down in london gin and tonic brigade i call them they get they get pissed to make up different rules every two minutes. You just don't know. So at the end of the day, just keep football as it has been for the last 30 years, if possible. You think it's sustainable as it is at the moment? I mean, is it too I much would like it, I wouldn't like to see a Super League. They're all asking for a Super League, you know, and entwine with people from Europe and Scotland. No, I wouldn't like to see it. You mentioned earlier about uh, about your, your cap against Luxembourg. As a as a as an England right back, you you just should have got more caps. Well, it depends. Don Revy, who was the manager then, uh, he left Leeds. He decided to sign a million pound contract in Saudi Arabia, and then Bobby Robson took over. And Bobby's got his own thoughts about football. Phil Neal took over, but I was still in, included in the squads. But I, I don't know, but I wasn't in a successful side like Phil Neal. Liverpool were winning leagues, cups. Villa were winning nothing, you know. VAR, John, what's your views on that? Uh, interesting, it's been in the works for a couple of years, used in the World Cup and, well, I say World Cup qualifiers, and it's been abroad. And They brought it into England this year. I know it's in cricket, know it's in tennis, and it's worked perfectly. And in rugby, I think it's it, it, it's done very well, but I I don't think they've got it hundred percent at the moment. There's still one or two itches with the rules. Like you've got one referee in the room, you've got a referee on the pitch, and then suddenly the referee is being taken over by the person in the room, and it, it that that's wrong, so you know. And and the, the rules of this hand like a shadow in, in, the, in, in the penalty area. We've seen over the last couple of weeks, there have been penalties and they weren't given. Yeah. So there's fingers pointed at certain people. Yes, we, we have a similar feeling that there's sometimes there's a more political reason behind some of those decisions. Maybe, maybe. So, maybe. so also, I, I, I would assume then that you feel that the referee's decisions have been devalued in some respects. Yeah, I agree with that, but why have two referees and you've got two linesmen, like linesmen, two helpers on the line and, you know, leave the flag down for 30 seconds and then put it up. It's confusing for the players. And then 
stop play. I've got VAR in my ear. We're having a look at this. And then the players are getting cold. The body temperature's coming down. And, you know, your muscles are starting to take effect where the game's not really constantly being played, you know? That's an interesting point about being warmed up yeah. and staying warm. Finally, John, just like to ask what advice you would give to young players coming through the youth system now, and with the benefit of hindsight, knowing what you know now, what advice would you, if you could, give your younger self when you were starting out? For kids now, if they get the break and going into a youth policy with a certain club, is they are taught totally different. When I was given the apprenticeship for two years, you know, part of our contract was cleaning toilets, cleaning baths, cleaning the corridors, mopping, cleaning the, the stands, doing the seats. These guys these days don't do anything like that, you know. And I know most of them, or some of them, are driving BMWs and everything, and they've got a bit of a cushy life. But going onto the football scene, they've just got to believe in themselves that it, it, it happens in football, it happens in everyday life. If someone doesn't like you, they can finish it. And that's when I come back to the beginning of this conversation 20 minutes ago. That one door closes, the other opens. So never, ever, ever sort of like give in on yourself. Believe in your own skill. Believe in everything you've been taught and, and never give up. Okay, I'd just like to say before I'm finished and it's nice to meet you guys. As I say, we've had a good week last week with Stevie and that. And I'd just like to put my opinion over is that we're all at the age after 40 and we should be knowledgeable about getting checked up and not turn a blind eye to it. It is an important thing, and women have to do the same things in cervical cancer and breast cancer, and it's an important thing for men to really get chucked and prostrate. So my advice, just go down the docks. It's not a finger, it's a needle. So don't worry about it. That's a wonderful advice. Thank, Thank you, you very much, John. We really appreciate you coming in to talk to us about prostate cancer and your career. And Kevin, do you have a message for us, in, or message for the public in relation to prostate cancer? Basically the same as John has said. We need all to get checked out very often and not forget about it. It's something else that we all push to one side due to embarrassment and other things. And as John said, it's a needle now. I also would like to say thanks to everybody else who's helped raise funds for this charity. A big thanks to John, Steve, and everybody else who supported it and donated. Thank you very much. All right, and thank you, uh, Kevin Johnson and his team at Scandals. Big thank you, of course, to legendary footballer John Gidman. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. We really appreciate that. Big thank you, of course, to my partner, Steve Kenneth Kenton. What a day. Thank you very much indeed, Chris, and thank you, chaps, for coming in and speaking to us. Thank you very much. That has been yet another episode of the Football Podcast. Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us next week. You've been listening to Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. Join us again next week for more of their twisted football news, all of their weird football views. You can find them here every week on Carl and Kenner's Hitting the Bar. We'll see you again shortly.